0: I want you to find your way in your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where this morning we are going to round out, finish out sort of our first series of studies on this theme, this initiative called Evangelism Shift. Again, I, I hope you've understood for the past three Sundays and that you will continue to understand today and beyond that, that this is not about preaching a program, that this is not a sales pitch to get on board with a program, but rather it is an opportunity to help introduce and, and, and from God's Word, what it means to live as a witness, and then if you get fired up about that to join us in one of these life-to-life groups, that's, that's the next step if God should so prompt you to take it. But really, all we're trying to do this morning is get into God's Word and understand what it means to live as witnesses in this world at this time in our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what the good news is this morning? The good news is that you can, okay? You can live as a witness for Jesus Christ. I can live as a witness for Jesus Christ. And we may, we may be excited about that. We may be petrified at the thought of living as a witness for Jesus Christ. But we're going to get there. And we're going to get there. If we're going to get there, we've got to do it through God's Word. So I am in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. I'm in a passage that really warrants probably a month's worth of messages, but we're not going to give that and, and, uh, by, by any stretch today. But it's also a passage that to some of you may be familiar, maybe even very near and dear to your heart, because it really is one of the, the richest, the most multidimensional, multifaceted uh, faceted expressions of the gospel of Jesus Christ you're going to find in the Bible, and I'm going to begin reading this morning. Of course, as we've done the past few weeks, we're picking things up in progress. But the Apostle Paul is writing. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He is accompanied at the very least by his ministry companion, his missionary partner, Timothy. And as he is writing to this church at Corinth, with whom he He had to call the task, call out for their sin in 1 Corinthians. Now he's writing a letter of reconciliation and encouragement to them here in 2 Corinthians. Beginning in verse 14 and reading through verse 21, this is what the Bible says. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live might no longer live for themselves, But for him who died and rose again on their behalf, therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Over the past three weeks, as we have been talking about living as a witness, at the very least, there are some things that That as I have shared them with you, I hope you have been able to take to heart. They are as follows by way of review number one. The first thing that we've talked about so far in these studies is that to be saved is, in fact, to be sent. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you are by definition sent into this world, sent into your world to bear witness of him before unbelievers. To be saved is to be sent. Number two, we immediately on the heels of of that discovered, or at least were able to articulate what we all internally know already, is that sentness takes boldness. That living as a witness, speaking to others of Jesus Christ, is something that does take a measure of legitimate boldness. And what we talked about in that vein is that thirdly, boldness, the boldness we need, the boldness from which we should speak, only comes one way, and that is by prayer. That we need to seek God daily for the boldness to speak for Jesus. And then last Sunday, as we looked at the story of Lydia's conversion, this, this worshiper of God who yet didn't, know, didn't yet know Christ, whom Paul was able just to simply come alongside literally and speak to, and she trusted Christ, what we learned or what we saw last week is this, that in every divine appointment, and anytime you speak with Jesus if, with someone else, it's a divine appointment. In every divine appointment we face, we have an unseen ally. He is the Holy Spirit. He is at work, he was at work before you ever got there. He is at work in some way in that person's life. You may not see it then in the moment or in the immediate aftermath, but he's always up to more than we might imagine. Now with all of that said, and whether or not any of that, all of that perhaps is new information to you or not as i've been thinking about it and trying to absorb these truths in in my own life something dawned on me actually it's a thought that i've had many times before and perhaps as i say it you can see if it resonates with you because what i have a hunch about is this that in terms of living as witnesses and those principles that i just shared with you or reviewed with you for most of us as followers of jesus the chief obstacle to living as a witness is not a matter of knowing it's a matter of doing It's a matter of doing. We know what the gospel is essentially. We may not be able to articulate it in a beautiful way, but we know the gospel. We know that we're supposed to live as witnesses. We know that if we pray, God will help us. The problem isn't a matter of knowing. Our challenge, our obstacle is a matter of doing. And so the principal question before us this morning... What we're going to go after today in this passage is what exactly, if I can frame it this way, what exactly is the fuel? The fuel that will ignite our passion to live as witnesses in such a way that we will actually, so to speak, start our engines and begin to live boldly and openly as witnesses for Jesus Christ. What is the fuel that can ignite our passion, that leads us to a place of actual action. And as I said, that's where today's passage comes in. Because what I want to show you, there's certainly, as I said earlier, there's more going on in in, in this passage, these eight verses, than we're going to look at this morning. But what I want to direct our attention to, at least what the Lord has shown me over the past week or so in it, is that this is a passage in the teaching of Paul that offers us three ingredients, okay? Okay. Think of this as a fuel cocktail, if you will. There are three ingredients that go into the fuel that will in turn ignite our quest to live as witnesses for Jesus Christ. The first two we're going to look at very quickly because we want to settle down and sink deeply into the third. So here we go, number one. The first ingredient that can fuel our our, our passion to live as witnesses for Jesus Christ is an understanding, number one, of our mission. By the way, all three begin with M to make it simple. Our mission, and our mission, as we go to the next slide, is this. We are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. The first ingredient is an understanding of our mission, and our mission is that we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Now, most of us probably understand what an ambassador is. An ambassador is a man or a woman, it's a person who is sent to a foreign land by a higher power, a king, a president, a queen, a prime minister, to represent the interests of and to serve as the mouthpiece for that leader. Now on one hand, that gives an ambassador immense power. That means that whatever she or he says to the foreign government they've been sent to has the full weight of the sending government behind them. They speak as the state, so to, uh, so to put it. They have immense power. But on the other hand, that's one hand, on the other hand, uh, another uh, essential fundamental truth about ambassadors is they don't get to freelance. They don't get to say whatever they want to say. They speak for the king, but they only speak for the That means that that if they find themselves in negotiations, they find themselves in a conversation where they'd like to finesse the message, they'd like to issue a threat, they'd like to insert their own opinion because maybe they don't necessarily fully agree with or understand what the leader who sent them wants them to say. They don't get to do that. They have immense power because all of that government's power is behind them, but they must work within the realm of what? they were sent to do. And the reason I say that is because in verse 20, the same thing goes for us as believers. Look at your Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We are ambassadors for Christ. Now, just to be clear, if I've not been clear enough over the past three Sundays, this is not an elective assignment. This is not optional. This is definitive. This is Mandatory again to be saved is to be sent. So here's what I want you to do I know it sounds corny, but do it anyway. Repeat after me as a believer, believer, I am an ambassador for Christ. Christ. Let's try it again as a believer, believer, I'm I'm an ambassador for Christ. That is our identity, that is our mission, and that is. And the message that we are to deliver in doing that is in the rest of the verse. We are ambassadors for Christ. And and here, this is just what an ambassador does. It's as though God were making an appeal through us. Actually, he is making an appeal through us. As though God were making an appeal to us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Listen, if you genuinely seek to live as a witness, the conversations God sends you into are going to twist and turn. You're going to have to redirect There's going to be questions to answer and objections perhaps. Maybe it'll be easy, but other times it won't. But with the Spirit's help, we have one main assignment, one mission. Keep bringing it back to Jesus. I know you want to know what I think about literal creation versus something else, so, but, but how about we, we bring it to Jesus? I, I know you want to talk about all the division in the church and, and, and Christianity, but okay. But, but first let's talk about Jesus because that's our message, that's our mission, ambassadors for Christ, and it is the first ingredient that ought to fuel our quest to live as witnesses, to understand you have a mission, you're an ambassador for Christ. The second ingredient, and again, we're going to look at this quickly, but it's very, very important, is an understanding and awareness of our motive, okay? We have our mission, we are ambassadors for Christ. Our motive in living out this ambassadorship, in taking the assignment and beginning to put it into practice, is the love of Christ. Our mission is ambassadors for Christ. Our motive is the love of Christ. Now, If you look in your Bible again at verse 14, where we began, when Paul says, when he said, when he wrote, for we are, or excuse me, therefore, where did I go? I lost verse 14. There it is. For the love of Christ controls us. When he said, for the love of Christ controls us, in the moment as he's writing this letter, remember, he's, he's simply, all he knows he's doing right then is writing a letter to this church. And so he's only speaking for Timothy and himself. See, the love of Christ controls us. Guys, that's why we do what we do. That's why we go where we go. That's why we suffer why, like, like we suffer at times for Jesus. He's speaking only for himself and Timothy, but the implication here is very, very clear. And it is this, that the best, and, and listen, ultimately the only sustainable motive for living as a witness, the only thing that will keep you doing it day after day when you don't feel like it, when it is hard, when, when, when you've got other things on your mind, the best and only sustainable motive for living as witnesses for Jesus is the love that he has shown us. His love for us, which by the way, if you go to a passage like Romans 5, makes it very, very clear that he began and he poured out on us when we were both unlovely and unlovable. He loved us when we were enslaved to sin. And and what Paul literally says here, our Bibles, our, our English Bibles translate this word differently. Mine says, for the love of Christ controls us. Your Bible may say, the love of Christ compels us, or the love of Christ constrains us. The reason English translations render the word differently is because it's a really hard one to bring from Greek into English, but here's what it means. What Paul is saying is this, the reason I do what I do is because the love of Christ, literally the word means, it holds me fast and it hems me in. The love of Christ holds me fast. It's what holds my life together. And it also, the love of Christ, is what hems me in. I look to the left, I look to the right. Love of Christ. I look before me, behind me. I'm surrounded by the love of Christ. I look above me and below me. Wherever I go, I can't get away from the love of Christ. It has gripped me. It controls me. And it compels me. And it is what motivates me, Paul says. It's what motivates he motivated he and Timothy to speak and to even suffer for Jesus when he was calling others to salvation. And I think, I think it's really, really huge that we, that we understand that is our motive. Because it is so easy, and if you've been in the church much, very much of your life at all, it's so easy to be motivated to live as a witness, to share your faith by lesser things. There are other motives we have. In my life, just true confessions, it's primarily the most common reason or the most common motivation to share my faith has been guilt, all right? Because that's what good Christians are supposed to do. We're supposed to share our faith, and I don't want to, and I'm not comfortable, and I'm awkward at it, but, but I do it. I share my faith because A, I want to make God happy, and B, I want to look good to others. And so guilt has motivated me. I was thinking about that this week and thinking back to my days in Bible college and and there was a a guy there for a couple of years, he was a French-Canadian, he had this incredible accent, and, and periodically he'd get up in chapel and he'd make an announcement and he'd say, hey guys, don't forget, every Saturday afternoon we go doing door-to-door evangelism around the city and you ought to be there and you need to be there. And these would be passionate announcements about come out and do door-to-door evangelism with us. And, and, and some people would, and, and I'd listen to those announcements And again, because I wanted to be seen as a good Christian every once in a while, I dragged myself out of bed, I dragged myself down the hall, and I dragged myself out to go knock on people's doors and tell them about the wonderful love of Jesus. And I was miserable because my motive was all wrong. In fact, I was thinking about that. I, I feel so sorry for the people to whose doors I would come and say, I'm just here to tell you God loves you. He has a wonderful plan for your life. Don't you want to be like me and be like us? I mean, doesn't this look like fun? And no, it wasn't terrible. It doesn't mean that what we were doing was wrong. It means my motive for doing it was wrong. It wasn't the fact that the love of Christ controls me and I want them to know this love too. It's like somebody's making me feel or I'm letting myself be made to feel guilty. And listen, I'm not saying God can't use us in such moments. But wouldn't he rather reach people through us instead of despite us? Wouldn't we be more effective witnesses if we were letting him work through us rather than despite us? What I'm saying is this, in aiming to fulfill our mission as ambassadors, let's make sure the proper second ingredient is in the mix, that our motive is the love of Christ. Why? So that we can clearly and we can winsomely bear witness to the third M, the third ingredient we're going to talk about and drill into this morning, and that is our message, the gospel of Christ we have a mission. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have a motive, or we should have a motive. It is the love of Christ. Our message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, years ago, I heard an older pastor, I was in a seminar where he told us, and, and he had a, a great ministry of mentoring young men, young pastors in his faith, had an internship program in, in the ministry, excuse me, and And he said one of the exercises that he'd take them through, and maybe I've shared this story with some of you before, but one of the exercises he would take them through is he'd get them, they'd sit down in his office, and he'd say, now, son, I want you to imagine that you are sitting at the bedside of a dying sinner, and they have two minutes to live. Lead them to Jesus. And and then he'd say, Go. In two minutes, can you clearly articulate? You can't force someone, but in two minutes, time, can you clearly articulate the gospel in such a way that a dying sinner who until that moment has refused to trust Jesus Christ might at their last possible opportunity surrender to him? And, And that's always stuck with me because I think his point was this. Most people, and you know this is true, and it's more true probably in our age, this generation, than any other. Most of the people we encounter do not want... And will not listen to a protracted homiletical exposition of the glorious good news of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And listen to me go on for 5 minutes and 10 minutes and 12 minutes and 15 minutes laying it out in that way. Now listen, what I'm saying is this. We need to be able to share the gospel succinctly. We don't want to leave anything essential out. But we need to know what the message is. To share it clearly and succinctly. With that said, it's also good for us to remember and rehearse how truly rich this message is. Because sometimes I forget. And sometimes I'm just guessing you forget, too. So we have this message, and we want to be clear. We need to be able to share with with an unbelieving friend or loved one or stranger. Listen, the message of the gospel is this. You're a great sinner. Jesus is a great Savior. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, Jesus. That whoever, that means you, would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus died for the sins you've committed. He rose from the dead to prove that he'd finished it. And all you have to do is repent and receive it. We need to be able to articulate that message clearly, but we also need to know all the riches that are behind it. And and since that's what Paul does in the rest of this passage, that's what I want to do. I simply want to walk you through some of the incredible truths about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he said, and I know this sounds like a lot, but I promise I have a destination and we are going to arrive on time, okay? But in this passage, there are at least five things he says about this message that we've been entrusted with this message that we should be motivated to go out and share in our mission as ambassadors. And every once in a while, we need to remember how good it is. So, number one, the first thing Paul tells us about this gospel, the reason it's so imperative and important that we share it, is because it is, these all begin with R, by the way, a message of rescue. The first thing he says is it is a message of rescue. You know, in any... In any culture where there is a, an, an acknowledged link between sin and sacrifice, and throughout history there are cultures that have that, they understand that when you sin, the way you cover your wrongs is with a sacrifice. In every culture where there's a, an acknowledged link between those two things, everybody knows one thing. The worse your sin, the bigger the sacrifice. Right? If you've offended God, if you've offended the gods, well, you better bring something to show how sorry you are so that perhaps you'll be Forgiven. Well, my point is not to debate the merits of that, the reasons for that. As Christians, we need to recognize, I need to remember how desperate my plight had to be for Almighty God to send His one and only Son. And that the only way to cover my sin was for Him to die. The one who'd never done any wrong. The one in whom... There was no iniquity. That's how bad my sin was. That's how bad our sin is. Because what does that demonstrate? It just shows how badly we needed to be rescued. It also shows how determined God was to rescue us. He was willing to give up his one and only son. He was willing to send his son to the cross and bear the full brunt of his wrath and the penalty so that we could be saved. And that's what Paul meant in verse 14 when he said, listen, he said, gang, the love of Christ controls us. Why? Because we concluded this, one died for all. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you, and that message controls us. We can't get away from it. It's a message, first of all, of rescue. Not only that, secondly, it's a message of remedy. We need to remember that this gospel we have been entrusted with that has saved us is a message also of remedy. Listen, whenever you go to the doctor because you're sick, and, and she, he writes you a prescription that they, you then take to the pharmacy to have it, have it filled The goal is what? The goal is to remedy your illness, to get you back to business as quickly as possible. Take this once a day. Take this every evening before bed. And and before you know it, you ought to be back in business again. That's why we go see the doctor. That's why we take their prescriptions so we can return to doing what we are supposed to do. That is also a fundamental part of the gospel. Because if you think, All the way back to the beginning of our Bibles, Genesis chapter 1, is very clear that when God made us, he made us for specific purposes. He he made Adam, he made Eve, and he said, I've got an assignment for you, and then he laid that assignment out. And for a while, we don't know how long, it all went really well, because all of those assignments, as they fulfilled them and carried them out, were for the glory of God, and God was glorified, and they were blessed, and it was a wonderful thing. But then we get to Genesis 3, and sin enters the equation. And the the fundamental shift that took place at the fall of humanity is that everyone went from living for God to living for themselves. And that's what we've been doing ever since. That's why the world is the mess it is today. Everybody's living for themselves. It's why people's lives are such a mess today because everybody is living for themselves and that's not what we were created to do. We were created for his pleasure. And sin messed it all up. But the message of the gospel is that when you trust Jesus, that problem meets its remedy. Verse 15, he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for what? Themselves. But they might live for the one who died and rose again on their behalf. Listen, let's be, let's be honest, let's be clear. Trusting Jesus Christ doesn't necessarily make your life easier in fact in many ways we've discovered it makes it harder but it does trusting jesus begin to make life make sense the gospel of jesus christ is the only message in all of history that explains why the world is the way it is and what can be done to fix it and 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 that's the remedy that God, when we bring him, when we invite him into our lives, begins to make the life make sense. It's number one, a message of rescue. It is number two, a message of remedy. Number three, it's a message of rebirth. The gospel is a message, and people need to hear this. Maybe they need to hear it as much as anything else, that it is a message of rebirth. This past summer was supposed to have been my 30th high school class reunion I know how's that possible right but it is and it was and I was looking forward to it and because of the virus of course that was postponed but I was really as I say, I was I was looking forward to I've gone back every five years I have a lot of friends but 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 we all know the real reason we go to our high school class reunions right if you go to them you go for one reason above all others you want to see who's changed and how dramatically they have changed What do they look like today and how does that compare to who they were 5 years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years ago? This is why we go, and I have this hunch, I'm not sure, so maybe some of you others uh, can help me out with this. I I have this hunch that I'm nearing the threshold where none of us are changing for the better anymore. At least it's starting to feel that way and look that way. But by contrast, you know why another reason why the gospel is such good news is because of what Paul said in verse 17 look at your bible therefore if anyone everybody say anyone. anyone if anyone is in Christ he she is a new creature the old things passed away behold that means listen up new things have come anyone in Christ is a new creature and and what that means for us and what it means to those with whom we bear witness, is that though others may continue to hold our past failures against us, though, though, though others may or, or we may be unable in some respects to forgive ourselves for certain mistakes and errors we made and the years maybe that we threw away on, on things that will not last, that while there is this old life that, that we can't pretend never happened, and that, that maybe I still have to deal with some of the consequences with rebirth means that the supreme lawgiver and judge doesn't hold any of it against us anymore. The one whose opinion matters most doesn't hold it against us anymore. Why? Because to him, the old us isn't around anymore. Listen to me. When God looks at you, if you're a believer, he sees his son when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Yeah, even with that stuff that's been going on in your heart. Yeah, even with the mistakes and failures, the things you're beating yourself up for today. He says, no, 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 old things passed away. Behold, something brand new has come. And God sees the new, the new creation. You are in Jesus. We no longer live Christ lives within us. We might call it a fresh start. We might call it a new beginning. The gospel calls it being born again. And it's really good news. The gospel is a message of rescue. The gospel is a message of remedy. The gospel is a message of rebirth. The gospel, fourthly, is a message of reconciliation. A message, Paul says, of reconciliation. You know, there are... I don't think there are many sweeter words in any language in this broken world than reconciliation. You know, walk away from a, a conversation where forgiveness was sincerely requested and genuinely granted. A relationship restored. If you've ever been there, you know there are a few feelings like it. There are few realities that... That, that those spiritual have a physical, I believe, an emotional dimension to him. And, and listen, while well, unbelievers don't know, they really don't know they need to be reconciled to God. They don't understand they are enemies of God, that, that, that they're under his wrath. They don't know they need to be reconciled. Well, because of, of Christ's death on the cross, that's what we can offer them reconciliation we could say the reason here guys the reason that your life doesn't work the way it's supposed to work the reason there is this brokenness and emptiness inside is because you have sinned like i have sinned and this sin has created a chasm between you and god there is no relationship but jesus his death on the cross is what reconciles us to him and though we can't persuade anyone of it of of it in our own words the holy spirit can and that's what verses 18 and 19 say, now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and here it is, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins against them. And again, for a second time, so we don't miss it, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's our message. reconciled to God and then there's one more thing and we we need to tie this together and and be done the last thing we need to see in this passage and again this is one of those verses that that could be a whole sermon all by itself what I simply want us to see, what I need to remember from it this morning is that this gospel of Jesus Christ is a message of righteousness it's a message of righteousness and I really believe that brings us all the way back around To where we started with the love of christ and why it should compel us to live as witnesses why no other motivation will do nor sustain because what verse 21 says happened at the cross it says look at verse 21 it said he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of god in him. Now, the theological term for that is imputation. It's also found in the Bible. Imputation. It was a word in the day Paul used it that came from, from the world of banking. And, and in the simplest way for me to understand, this is how it works. This is what Paul is saying. He is saying that at the cross where Jesus died, what we were singing about earlier, God took all of our sin and he deposited it into Jesus' account. And then you know what he did? He treated Jesus like it was his. And at the very same time, simultaneously, he took the righteousness of Jesus. And you know what he did? He put it in your account. And he put it in my account. And you know what he does? He treats us as if we'd never done a single evil thing. He made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And there is only one explanation for that, and it's love. It is the love of God for sinners. That is our message. That is the message that as ambassadors, we are called to bear witness to. And I believe that when we begin to get a hold of these things and believe these things, The fuel will will do its job. It will ignite us. It will compel us to say, this isn't a burden. This isn't an obligation. This is a joy. We have this news to share. And that's why as we close this morning, I want to be clear My point in taking the time to walk through all these things, to ultimately give you an eight-point sermon, which is way more than anyone should ever have to listen to, but my point is this. Not that you need to memorize this list. Not that you need to remember three M's and five R's, and you better get them all in the right order, and, and, and this is what we have to lay upon people that we meet. Instead, what I'm saying this morning simply comes down to this, in terms of living as witnesses, The point is that knowing we are ambassadors for Christ, who are to be motivated solely by the love of Christ, love so richly expressed in the gospel of Christ, listen, we have all the fuel we need to open up our mouths and bear witness for Jesus. We have all we need. And that's why today's big idea is is what I just said. We have what we need to tell others about Jesus. If you're a believer, you have what you need. It may not be familiar. You may not be well-practiced. Well, that's, that's part of the deal. We learn, we grow, but we have what we need to tell others about Jesus. But we need to let the fuel do its job, turn the key, ignite the passion, and then open up our mouths and do it. Father, I thank you for the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, the more we explore, the more we drill into the message of the gospel, the more we realize that no human mind would ever think of something like this. We might get it in bits and pieces, we might play around the edges, but Father, there is nothing, there is no message, there is no truth like the gospel of Jesus Christ. those here this morning who know you, Father, I pray that we have simply been reminded in a fresh and a poignant way of what we are the recipients of, of how deeply and how specifically and how tangibly you have loved us. And though we take it now by faith, we can't see your face, we can't hold your hand, we can't hear audibly your voice, it is nonetheless real. And Father, I thank you this morning that what we now take by faith one day will be sight, And Father, I pray, I pray for myself, I pray for my friends, my brothers and sisters here today that we will take to heart, not not my sermon, but your gospel. And that we will take it and be willing to share it with other sinners who need to know Jesus. Father, as always, take the things of truth that have been said here this morning and seal them to our hearts and move them to our hands and feet. Let all the rest be forgotten so that our focus as we leave is on Jesus alone in whose name we pray.